there's still a little bit of a ring for me. I don't know for you guys. It's going to ring in my ear and I'll be thinking that people are speaking to me and it'll just be my own head. So, um, and so today we're going to talk about that subject and you can tell by even our title, Confronting Prejudice. Uh, I'm not very good at titles and so I just threw it out there. That's what we're going to talk about. So, um, but, uh, so today we're going to be reading a portion of uh, Acts chapter 10 and I just want to, let, let me just tell you a tiny bit here before we read it because we're going to start in verse 25 but I'm going to tell the whole story of chapter 10 uh, and so the first part of that, there's two people in this story, Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius um, has had this vision, and he's going to invite Peter to come to his house. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that part of the story in a minute. But Peter is, uh, where we're going to pick up the reading is when Peter is at Cornelius' house in Caesarea, and he's talking to Cornelius and all of his relatives and his buddies who he invited to come and hear what Peter had to say. So verse 25 says, when Peter had... Uh, when Peter entered, uh, Cornelius met him and fell down to worship him, at his feet to worship him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I, I too am a man. Oh wait, why don't you stand with me as we read God's word? My mind is really full this morning, so just stand with me as we read God's word. Be for these very reasons, right, we don't want to be worshiping a man. These are not man's words, but God's. And here Cornelius thinks that Peter should be worshipped. Uh, no. And so Peter says, for I, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I sent for, I came without objection. When I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked then, why have you sent for me? So Cornelius is going to tell him. Now jump down to verse 34. And Peter then addresses the whole crowd and says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that was sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, good, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews, who, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and so gracious. Thank you for your word today. 
God, I pray that you would help us, help me to speak these words well by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to together hear and receive these words as you would have us, that our, our faith would be built up, that we would be strengthened, we would be convicted of sin, that we would be called constantly and continually to repentance, Lord, and that we would walk away from here today marveling at your grace and your mercy for us all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So confronting prejudice. Um, my tagline today is actually taken out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the little tagline to my message, that, that basically Paul says that as new creatures in Christ, that anyone who is in Christ, he's a new creation. And as new creatures in Christ, he says, that we no longer view people from a fleshly or a worldly point of view anymore. Like that our faith in Christ, the transforming power of the gospel changes how we see people. And he says not only people, but also indeed how we see Jesus as well, right? That our, our obviously by coming to faith in Christ, our view of Christ changes, but our view of, of people changes. And so today I want to just take a, a moment and we're going to talk a little bit about this subject of prejudice. And I just want to share with you like where I'm coming from. Uh, this last nine or ten months for me is, I think God has sort of taken me on a bit of a journey. Um, as uh, some of you know and some of you may not, so I'm, I'm the regional minister for the conference of churches that our, that our, our church is a part of, and, uh, and so the northwest region here. And uh, one of the things that God has blessed me with this year is to be able to sit in a panel discussion uh, in front of, on Zoom, in front of several hundred pastors uh, with my African-American brothers uh, who are pastors in our conference, and we had a really honest conversations about race and about my experience of the world and their experience of the world. And I just want to let you know, like, God has taught me so much. We've done three of them so far, and uh, it's been an incredible experience where God has truly taught me, I think is teaching me, to, be, to truly live out what Paul or what James says, where he says we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And, and so I, this has been a quite a journey for me uh, this last year where things that I thought I knew to come to find out that maybe I don't know as much as I thought. Maybe there's things and people's experience of the same place that I live is very different. And, uh, and it's, not, it, it's something that as Christians we need to humble ourselves and be good at listening and understanding and seeking uh, to be uh, those who in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we, we do have a ministry of reconciliation, right? That is the ministry of the church. And so I just want to take a moment this morning. So Martin Luther King Jr. Day is tomorrow. And it's a day where we remember him, remember the work that he did to, to seek to bring equality to our African-American brothers and sisters in this country. And so, uh, and, and I just want to take a moment to take you through a little history and this is a woefully inadequate history, but we don't have three hours. And so I'm just going to give you some key dates. I'm just going to walk you through a little thing here. And, uh, and there's no way we could talk about it. There's all kinds of nuances. There's all kinds of historical details. And there's things that we could talk about. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to walk you through a really fast overview of, of the issue of race in our country. In 1863, and the, the Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation which is basically a document that in that document, that, that proclamation stated that slaves were to be set free. 
They were, they were hereby to be released. Uh, in 1865, Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, granting, uh, or, or basically stating, the, declaring the abolition or the abolishing of slavery. So that's the 13th Amendment to our Constitution, abolishes slavery. In 1866, now some of the rest of the stuff that comes after this, if you're wrestling through this, it seems like it should have been a no-brainer, but we had to pass laws for this, right? So in 1866, Congress passed the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, granting former slaves all of the same rights of citizenship that are guaranteed in the Bill of Rights. Of our, and so that was, that was basically us saying they are fully, they get all the same rights and guarantees that we have. They became full-fledged citizens of the United States. 1870, Congress had to pass another amendment. This was four years later, the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, granting voting rights to African Americans, which kind of seems a little strange because we already granted them full rights as citizens, but now we have to fight in Congress to grant them rights to vote. And then, woefully, woefully, in 1871, at one year after that, um, began the first uh, laws that were passed, uh, re basically Jim Crow laws that required segregation in our country. And these laws were passed um, they were laws that required that African Americans could not eat with us, could not sit on the bus with us, could not use the same bathrooms as us. We had to live our lives separate. There was intermarriage was illegal. In fact, until just recently, illegal in some countries or some states, some countries, some states. Uh, but in the North and the South, uh, these laws began to take place, and blacks and whites were living supposed to live separate, and there were penalties. In fact, Jim Crow ushered in a, this, the, the most despicable and horrible practice of lynching that began in our country. And it was a despicable thing that we should all grieve and be sad about. And then you take that from the 1871. Jim Crow is, is the, the law of the land in many places. In 1871, all the way to 19... We're skipping a whole lot of stuff here. In 1953, you have the, the court case, Brown versus the Board of Education, which fought to... Uh, to say that it's unconstitutional to segregate our children in their schools. And then another 10 years has to pass where in 1963, and actually in 1964, in 1963 when uh, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the state, the steps, stood at the Capitol and gave the famous uh, I Have a Dream speech, 17 and a half minutes long is all. I always think that's interesting that uh, in 17 and a half minutes, a speech that had a huge impact because that speech was spoken right before the 1964 Civil Rights Act was passed, which the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, basically declared that it is, it is unlawful, it is prohibited to discriminate uh, in any way, in public or in any sort. Uh, it, it, it was supposed to abolish discrimination. But we also know that that didn't happen, right? We also know that it continued on. Martin Luther King Jr. was doing demonstrations and marches until his death some years later. Uh, because it did not happen. And so, in the I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King made an incredible statement where he said, uh, I, I have a dream, and the dream was, he said, and there's all kinds of things that you know some of the things in there, but he said at the end of his speech, he says, I have a dream in which, as Americans, we will live up to our own creed. And that creed says in the Declaration of Independence, the very first line, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That, we, that all men are created equal, 
and are endowed with certain and alien, inalienable rights. Among these are the are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Martin Luther King was simply asking that we would live up to that creed, and we did not live up to that creed. Um, Brian Stevenson is a, is a lawyer to this day. Uh, he's been a lawyer practicing law for the last 30 years. He began 30 years ago. He moved from Delaware to the South, an African-American man. Uh, and I just want to share this little thing for you. And we're going to get to our text here in a minute. We're going to talk about what's the answer to all this. But I want you to hear this. Brian Stevenson has been someone I've read here recently. You've probably seen the movie, uh, Just Love. He wrote a book. I'd encourage you to read the book and not just watch the movie. Uh, but Just just Mercy. Just Mercy. There we go. Uh, and you know, Brian Stevenson was a lawyer. And it just shows you the power of one person who truly doesn't just talk about having a justice, but actually does something about it. He went down to the South, and he began to represent uh, African Americans on death row who had been wrongfully convicted uh, and put on death row and were completely innocent. And, and to date, he's, he's gotten over 140 African American people who are completely innocent off of death row. And that's just the start because he also has documented, there's thousands upon thousands, one of which uh, the story, just in 2015, there was a man released who'd been in prison for 30 years. He was put there when he was 14 years old on a nonviolent crime. And he spent the next 30 years of his life, and in 2015, he was finally released. If ever there was a need for a presidential pardon, huh? And so Brian Stevenson says this. He says something I think is really profound that I think we need to hear. He says, the great evil of American slavery wasn't involuntary servitude. That is the actual slave trade. He's not saying that's not evil. <laughs> He's just saying the greatest evil was not that. The real evil, he says, was the fiction that come to be believed as true that black people are not as good as white people that they're not as equal as white people, that they are less human, less capable, less worthy, and less deserving than white people. That's what led to years upon years upon years, and even to this day in places, just because you and I, and I'm learning this, just because I don't experience it here doesn't mean it doesn't happen in many places and still to this very day. In 2015, a man was just released from 30 years on death row for a nonviolent crime at age 14. And so, so then we come to this moment, now that I've said all of that, and now you're all on pins and needles, right? What's the answer? What is the answer to this? Not all of us can be like Brian Stevenson, and we're not lawyers, so we can't necessarily go do that, but what, what is ultimately the root answer to this issue that has so been in the forefront of our, of our country in the last, and we think just in this year, but it hasn't been just this year. What is the answer to this? And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer to this issue. Think about the vision that scripture gives us. Think about the whole trajectory of God's word and what God's word lays out. And let me just take a moment to, to, to define that. He says, in, in God's word, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God made a covenant with Abraham, what did, he, what did he say? He said, in you, Abraham, in your offspring, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. 
what God was promising to Abraham was that, that through his descendants was going to come one seed, one offspring, ultimately, which is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, all the world would be blessed. No one would be untouched by this man, Jesus, by the Messiah. In the Old Testament, just think about this. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament Israelites would have sang songs like Psalm 67. This isn't just a New Testament thing. The whole Bible declares that God's aim is that the whole world would know the goodness of God. And in the Old Testament, they would have sang psalms like Psalm 67, which, is, which says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples, he says, the, the word peoples there is the word ethnicities. Let the ethnicities, all ethnicities, let them praise you, O God. Let all the ethnicities praise you. Let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. For you, God, you judge people with equity. In other words, correctly. Only God sees correctly. And you guide the nations upon this earth. Israel would have sang psalms like that and psalms and many others, Psalms 96. They would have sang these things their whole life long. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it shows us the end game that God has. It shows us a picture. It gives us a glimpse that what God is aiming at. It says there was a great multitude, John says in chapter 7, verse 9, and the multitude that no one could number from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, crying out to God. To salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the aim of God. This is what it will be like in new heavens and new earth. A people, a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation of the world gathered around, united by one thing, Jesus Christ. One thing. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes this statement. He says, it's in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. And in Colossians, he says there's neither Scythian or barbarian. Barbarian was a way of people describing people as horrible people, right? There's barbarians. He says, in Christ, there is neither one of those. In Christ, we are all one, he says, in Christ Jesus. And lastly, before we get to our text, in Ephesians 2, Peter gives this beautiful, incredible picture of the, the vision of God, what God is doing and what he did in Christ. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that is the Gentiles that were outside of the people of God, it says, you who were once far off have been brought near. Why or how? Through the blood of Christ, he says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both... Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh by dying on the cross, the, the dividing wall of hostility. You catch the picture there? He's saying that in Christ crucified, God has broken down this wall of hostility, the things that divide us, Jews and everybody else. There's no longer Jews and everybody else. There are only those who are in Christ. He has broken down and he has made us one people of God whose banner is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen, and raised, and reigning. This is the Bible's picture 
But I just want to say that sometimes just knowing what the Bible says is not enough, is it? Just knowing in our heads what it says is not enough. Just, in fact, even Martin Luther King said this one time in, a, in, a, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, and he was being rebuked, and he was re- responding to it, and he said uh, he was being rebuked for his demonstrations and saying that it was unlawful, and he said, no, sir, the reason why we're demonstrating is because you, sir, are breaking the law. The law says X. The law says that we are all supposed to be able to live together, have the same rights. And he says, but you, sir, are breaking the law. And the only way we can be heard is to demonstrate, because no one will listen. Sometimes, uh, just because we know the laws, and just because we understand God's word, it takes more. Hence, we get to Acts chapter 10. Um, Think about this, this for a minute. So you have this guy named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And Cornelius... Uh, Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. Roman centurion. He's over in Sicily, uh, which is on a Mediterranean coastal city. And he's a, it says he's a devout man. He's a man who, who, who believes in the God of Israel as a, as a Roman, as a, as a Gentile. He believes in the God of Israel. He prays to the God of Israel. He even gives money, gives alms to them, it says. He gives money to them, which means he would have given it to the synagogue, the very synagogue that he was not allowed to actually worship with them in because he was a Gentile. And, and it says he was a devout man. He was praying one day. And God, God says, uh, hey, Cornelius, he shows up in a vision, says, Cornelius, there's a guy 60 miles down the road. His name is Peter. I want, you to, I want you to go get him and bring him to your house. So Peter is in Joppa. <laughs> this is ironic, actually. Joppa, if you know the Old Testament story of Jonah, Joppa is the city that Jonah fled to on the coast where he boarded a ship in order to get away from God and disobey God's order to go preach to the people of Nineveh who were not Jewish. And jo- Jonah refused to do so because he knew if I go and do what God asked me to do, God's actually going to grant these people repentance, and I don't want anything to do with that. Talk about an issue of race, prejudice. And so Peter is in Joppa, in that place, and Cornelius sends some soldiers, some of his soldiers, because he would have been an officer, he sends some of his soldiers to go get Peter. On that very day, Peter's up on the roof praying, and God throws Peter into a trance, and he gives him this picture. There's a sheet coming down out of heaven. There's on the sheet are reptiles and insects and birds. And God says to Peter, Peter, kill and eat. Because Peter was hungry and he had some people making food down, downstairs. And it says, that the sheet came down and says, kill and eat. And Peter, like normally like Peter is, he's really fast to speak and not really quick to think. Peter just says immediately, no way, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean or common. And God immediately responds to him back and says, don't you call anything unclean or common that I have made clean. And ironically in this story, it says God had to do that little vision, the little rigmarole, three times for Peter. So it's a total of four. So he had to do it again and again. Like Peter is having a tough time understanding. And then once, once this little vision is done, Peter is, it says he was perplexed. 
in verse 17. He's, he's perplexed about this. He's like, what does this mean? What is God trying to tell me here? Don't consider anything common or unclean that God considers clean. And he's, he's perplexed about this. And at the same time, God says, hey, there's some dudes at your door. You need to go down and greet them. And you need to do what they say. Go back with them. And so Peter does. He goes down there. Here's the soldiers. They say, hey, come with us. They go back. There's a whole lot of the story I'm not telling you. But they go back to Cornelius' house. And Peter walks into Cornelius' house. And we pick our story back up where I began to read. Peter begins to speak to them. It's interesting what he says. He says, you yourselves, in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. What law is Peter citing here? Which law? There is not a law that says that a Jew was not supposed to be hospitable to foreigners and strangers and aliens, to outsiders. That, there's not a law against that. In fact, the law is in exactly the opposite of that. They weren't supposed to embrace the worship of these nations around them or to be taken in by these gods. and They weren't supposed to, but, there's, but the law does not state that you cannot visit or associate with and you should not be hospitable with those who are on the outside. It states the opposite. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19, God, in fact, says, he, he affirms to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, Moses through Moses, who's preparing them to enter the promised land, he affirms to them, I have chosen you out of all the nations. And what did he choose them for? He chose them to be the ones through whom the promises of the Messiah would be fulfilled. And he says, so he affirms, yes, you are special. I have chosen you. But then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, in verse 17, actually I'll start back a little bit. He says, yet the Lord set his heart of love on your fathers and he chose their offspring after them. And then he says, for the Lord, verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. In other words, God does not show partiality between people. He doesn't have preferences like you and I do. He's not prejudiced. He sees people correctly, accurately, and it says God does not show partiality, nor does he take a bribe. He can't be bought. And then listen, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. That's the outsider, the alien, the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And then he says to Israel, therefore, love the sojourner, love the outsider, the alien, the stranger. Therefore, for you yourselves know what it's like to be aliens and strangers. He reminds them, you were in Egypt where you were not a people and you had no country and you had no land and you had no identity. You know what that's like. And so God is saying, because I am hospitable to the stranger and the sojourner, you ought also be hospitable to those who are not like you. And you should do this also in remembrance of the fact that you also were in that position at one point. Remember where you've come from. But I want you to notice that being true in Peter's day, there was an understanding that it wasn't lawful. They had, they had gone all the way from Psalm 67, singing these truths that they knew very well, that God was about the, his, his saving power going to all the nations. They went somehow from that to being to a place where you can't even 
associate with, visit, or be anywhere near someone who is not a Jew. That is the definition of prejudice, right? And so God, in order to see the mission of God, the actual mission of God, which is to gather to himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language of the world, God had to overcome the prejudice of Peter and the Jews who were already Christians. He had to overcome that in order for the gospel to go beyond them because they weren't going to even go into the house of someone like Cornelius. You see, you see the picture here? God had to overcome that, and he had to overcome it miraculously. It wasn't as if Peter woke up that day and thought, huh, I think we got this wrong. Psalm 67 and Psalm 96, you know, says, wait a minute, you know, it wasn't obvious to them. In fact, it was so staunch that the Samaritans, you remember John chapter 4? This is how serious it was in Jesus' day. The Samaritans, the Jews would not even walk through their country. The Jews would rather go all the way around Samaria, Right? They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even let, they were so much better than the Samaritans that they didn't even want the dirt of Samaria to get on their sandals. They didn't want, they didn't want to be anywhere near those despicable people, right? And so, and so they would walk around. So Jesus totally shatters that, right? He, he makes him and his disciples walk through Samaria. They hang out at a well and Jesus shatters a whole bunch of stuff by talking to a Samaritan woman, no less, in the middle of the day. Like all kinds of stuff messed up there, like in terms of a Jewish perspective, right? And so that's how serious this this prejudice was. And God has to come by the power of his spirit, and he has to work a miracle, because Peter's not getting this. God has to actually show up and invade his world through a trance and a vision and work in Cornelius to get him to understand, because Peter then goes, but now God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Notice how he says that? God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. No matter who they are, no matter what their ideology is, no one, I'm not supposed to determine that. That's not up to me. You see, it's, it's, it's challenging because just like Peter and the Jews, we can sometimes draw lines and place values in places and ways that God has not. That's what they had done. They had made up laws in their mind. They had interpreted the Bible in a way that drew lines where God had not drawn the lines. It's an extremely dangerous thing. Prejudice is an extremely dangerous thing and has led to the killing of countless millions upon millions of people in, in throughout history. Because this kind of thinking is a thinking that puts one group of people as superior and another group of people as inferior. And therefore, we can justify and discriminate against because we can justify that they don't deserve anything better. And we can justify this in many ways, especially when we're in the superior spot. And yet the Bible says, and Peter's realizing, wait a minute, my God's not partial. He doesn't give preferential treatment. He sees correctly everything and every person. He sees them as they are. In fact, Peter's or Paul's thing in Corinthians, my little tagline to this message, when it says that we're not supposed, it's not supposed to see people the way we used to, that as Christians, we're supposed to see people differently. It means we're supposed to see them in, as those who are made in the image of God. Every single person on this planet is an image bearer of God. 
So then we go down to verse 34, and Peter affirms this very truth. He says, I truly I understand now that God shows no partiality. Now, let's see what happens. This is really cool. So then Peter goes on to preach the gospel here. As you heard me reading it, like he's, he's standing before Cornelius' household, and he's preaching the gospel. It's this beautiful moment. I love this part as a preacher because... Um, He's standing, he preach, he, he's really waxing pretty eloquent. Like he's going through the Old Testament. He's explaining how Jesus is the, the Christ and what, that he just put to death on the, on the cross. And he's going through this whole thing. And he gets to the punchline. Like he's getting to the, to the good moment. Like it's building, man. Like this is, this is it. Like he's going to call them to be saved, right? He's going to get to the punchline. And, he, and he, says, he says that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then, and then basically God says, okay, that's enough, <laughs> God interrupts his sermon. So you catch that in verse 44? While Peter's still saying these things, the Holy Spirit just falls on the people. Wouldn't that be cool if right now, like, God just says, okay, you're done talking, Chris. Like, we're just, I got it from here. I'll take it, right? And the Spirit of God just falls on people, and their eyes are opened, right? And this is exactly what happened. The Spirit comes. These people are, are trusting in Christ. It is being poured out. And notice what Notice what, here's, here's again, the reality of what God is overcoming in the hearts of the Jewish people. Because Peter and his, and his companions, notice what it says in verse 49. The believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter, they were amazed. And listen to how it states it. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Shh, even on these Gentiles. Like, they're blown away by that, right? Like, oh, what? You know why they're blown away? Because they had believed the lie. Even though they knew the truth that this is exactly what God said he was going to do. They, they, they had totally made up a whole law that the Gentiles are out, right? And they're blown away. Even the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Like, this is amazing. It says, for then they, they were speaking in tongues. They were extolling God, that is, praising God. And Peter says, man, we, we, we should baptize them. Like, it, it's this crazy moment where we see God having to break down these barriers. And frankly, he's doing the same in us, right? I, I, don't, I don't think this is just a black and white issue, right? Today's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I get that, and that is a huge issue, and it's in the news, and it's a big deal. But the reality is, this kind of thinking permeates us in so many other ways, doesn't it? Prejudice simply means judging somebody on anything other than the fact that they're human, that they're made in the image of God. It means judging somebody and putting yourself, obviously, in a place of judgment of somebody for their, I don't know, political affiliations, for their gender, for the, how they look, how they smell, how they talk, where they live where they're from, what their religion is, judging somebody in any way other than the fact that they are image bearers of God is prejudice, and it's wrong. There are many ways that you and I have to fight to overcome this reality in us. Many ways. Um, I won't share that. <laughs> I had this happen last week. So. But here's what's crazy, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. The story doesn't stop. What's the first thing that happens? Peter went, goes to this house. The spirit gets poured out. What's the first thing that happens in chapter 11? He goes back to Jerusalem, and what do they do? Chapter, verse 3, they, they criticize him. They criticize him for it. They, the circumcision part is like, like you, listen to what it says. Verse 3, you went 
to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? You catch the disdain in their voice? Like, you ate with them? Are you crazy? Like, they could get their stuff on you. Like, you, like literally, you feel the, the sense here, like, this is crazy. Like, they don't understand. And Peter has to stand up, and he has to share with them. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you the story. And so the whole, chapter 11 is literally the rewriting of chapter 10. And he gets to the very end of his story where he's telling that the Spirit of God came upon these Gentiles. And it says that all of them who heard these things, it says they fell silent. They didn't have any argument against it. And it says they glorified God. And they said, <laughs> I love how this is spoken. Well, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's like, well... Can't argue with that. I guess, I guess to the Gentiles also. <laughs> you know, in some ways you, you would go, man, shouldn't this be obvious? But it's not obvious. Our prejudices are not obvious to any one of us. And this is why we need God. Think about what it took for Peter and these Jewish Christians to finally understand God's purpose in the gospel going to all nations. God had to show up in a dream. God had to shatter his little moment Right? He had to do some serious stuff in order to get them to overcome it. It's not obvious to us. It doesn't come that simple. We need the power of God to change our hearts constantly, daily, regularly, to point out all the different ways that we also can easily put ourselves up above. Just, just look at your Facebook pages. How do you talk to people? Are you arrogant and haughty, as Romans 12 says? Don't be haughty towards outsiders. Don't set yourself up as if somehow you're like, well, I, we got this figured out. All these other people are idiots and they don't know anything. Right? That, we, we can easily do that without even thinking about it. We can easily do that. It's, it's so easy. I found myself struggling with that on a fire call this last week. Where I had to walk into a home, crazy stuff going on, and my heart was not in the right place. When I got done with it, Man, it was just, here I am preparing this. It was just like God just, just boom, like here's, here's the example, Chris. Deal with your heart. Like it was just incredible what God does. But listen to this before I close this off. Galatians chapter 2, verses, 11, verses 1 to 4. So in Galatians chapter 2, so Peter has this great epiphany, right? God does this incredible thing, breaks down his prejudices, helps him understand that the gospel is going to go to all the nations. God never intended for it to be one, one nation, he intended for it to go from them to all the nations. And so in Galatians chapter 2, you know, you think Peter's overcome this now, right? He's got this figured out. Well, in Galatians chapter 2, we find out he doesn't quite have it overcome. It's a constant battle in his life. Because in Galatians 2, verse 11, Peter, it says, when, when Cephas came to Antioch, that is Peter, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Now, I want you to see how serious this is. This is why we should take it serious as well. He says, I opposed him to his face because... He stood condemned. In other words, Peter, the same Peter, right? He is doing actions. He is doing something that Paul's saying, this is actually going to condemn you if you're not careful. That's pretty serious, right? You should take that really serious. And he says, for, now because, before certain men came from James. Now when he's saying that, that's the Jewish Christians that were coming from Jerusalem. James was the elder in Jerusalem. And so before those Jewish Christians traveled down to Galatia, where Peter's at, to hang out with the Christians down there, it says, 
Peter was eating with the, the Gentile Christians, you know, the non-Jewish Christians. He was eating with them. He was, he was having a good time with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was all good. And then, but then those people showed up. And Peter's like, they're going to they're gonna judge me for eating with these guys. And so Peter withdrew away from them. Just imagine how degrading that would have felt to these Christians. Like, hey, it's good to eat with you guys and stuff, but now the brothers from Jerusalem are coming. You know, I don't want to be seen with you guys. I'm going to pull back. And we might think, man, that's, you know, he needs to work on that. You know, that's not good. He's got a little problem with pleasing people, maybe something like that. No, Paul takes it far more serious. Paul confronts him to his face in front of everybody. He says, when I saw their conduct... And that their conduct, that is Peter and his companions, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. You know that gospel that says that Jesus Christ died for a people to purchase a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation who would be one people in Christ. A diverse people of every background. In fact, Jesus said right in Matthew 24 that the gospel will go to all the nations and then the end will come. And Paul sees this as not a small matter in Peter's life because if Peter continues to go down this track, Paul sees him as one who stands condemned for thinking such thought because his actions are out of step with the very reality of the gospel. It's, and this is why we need the Spirit of God to actually change our hearts because it's not enough to go, yeah, I know that's bad. We shouldn't do that. But yet we find ourselves at times doing the very thing, right? We need God's continual presence in our lives. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit because just like Peter, we easily fall in and out of this, right? It seems like this is an incredible turning point in his life, and it was. And yet here he finds himself still hesitant, right? And Paul says, this is no small matter in your life. And I want us to consider that as well, that our prejudices are no small matter it is not a small thing. It is a serious thing that we must, according to Peter, we, or Paul, we must repent lest we be found out of step with the gospel. In fact, if we don't keep these things in check, our witness for Christ will be hindered, right? It'll be hurt. And in fact, I think this is maybe one of the most grievous things I've learned over the last nine months is that I think that one of the, one of the things we should grieve over is that it wasn't just the culture, for instance, in the South and places in the North that did these kinds of things that I've talked about, but the church as well. We as Christians also came up with theologies to protect such practices. We were complicit in those things as a church. Not you personally, you know, I understand that, but it happened, right? And it should cause us to look at that and go, wait, wait a minute, people who... People who heard the gospel preached every single Sunday somehow came up with theologies that placed the black man in a lesser place as being less than human and supported that view. Yeah, that happened. You'd be surprised at the names that that happened from, the mouths that that came out of, right? And I think what that serves for us is it tells us we need to constantly be turning to the gospel. We need to, we need to constantly be holding each other in check. We need to keep our attitudes in check. We need to, we need to in fact, that one of the greatest things I feel like God has done is just allow us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. To understand sometimes how, how we have been prejudiced. To understand another person's 
plot, another person's lot in life that, that is very different than mine. And I need to care about that. And everywhere we see injustice, whether it's in my own heart, which, by the way, exists in all kinds of fun ways, right? Just to lighten this. You know, like, you ever notice that the guy who's driving slower than you is a jerk? But the guy who's driving faster than you is a maniac? But you're always driving just right? See? You see how simple prejudice is? Right? I've got my... I'm, I'm the best driver. These other idiots on either side of me, they don't get it. Right? I am that way, my wife would tell you. <laughs> like, right? So, you see how easy it is, though? Right? That's a simple example when we're talking about human lives. When we're talking about people's worth and dignity, human beings, it's a far more serious matter. And we should take it serious and understand it. And so I just want to encourage you today, let us be a church. This is why I love seeing us support missionaries in India, seeing us see the world as God sees it, seeing people, but right here in our neighborhood even, that, that, we, would, that we would be careful not to set ourselves up in a place where we think we're better. Notice what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be served. But I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, right? Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, didn't come to be served. Not that the people around, but he came to serve. That is to give his life. And who did he give his life to? The people that liked him and loved him? No. No one loved him, ultimately, right? They were all his enemies prior to coming to faith. Those are the people Jesus loved, all of them. He loved you in that way. That's why you're in the faith. That's why you believe, because God has graciously come to you and given you what you don't deserve. Let us, let us pray that we would have the heart of God, that we would have the eyes of God, that we would see people as God sees them, and we would not discriminate, we would not show prejudice, we would not show, have racial thoughts towards anyone, anyone, no matter what it would be but that we would see everyone as made in the image of God. And even as sometimes how, how even when you see a life that you go, how awful, this, this person is the most vile human being on the face of the earth, and you say, but for the grace of God, that could be me. But for the grace of God, who am I to think that I'm above such things? Who am I? I'm a sinner deserving of God's wrath, and yet he and Christ has given me life. That's who we are. So let us live that out. Let us take that serious. So when you see things on the news and you hear people talking, don't, don't react quickly. Don't assume initially that you understand. Because I don't know about you, but I've found in the last uh, nine to ten months, what I thought I understood, I did not understand. Not even a little bit. Like there's some things that God just keeps opening up, and I think, yeah, I think it's good. So, Pray for God to work in our hearts. Pray that God doesn't have to show up at your house tonight when you're praying and lower stuff down from the skies, okay? Like, like we could do this a little simpler, God, all right? You know, just convince us here through your word this morning, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for grace. Thank you so much for grace. We sing this song, Amazing Grace, but it's just, help us to recapture even what's so amazing about it, that even in this room, God, there is a diversity of people from all over the world, all over this country, right here today in this place. What a beautiful picture, God. This is just a tiny little foretaste of where one day we will stand around a throne in which there will be a multitude that can't even be numbered 
And it will, be, it will be from every tribe and every tongue and every nation of the world, God, standing around the throne, giving you praise, because to, giving praise to you who sit on the throne and to the Lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of their sins. Man, what a, what a day that will be, Father. May we long for that day, but may we not just look for it in the future, God. May we see it right here, a taste of it, Every week as we gather, every week as your church gathers in this country and around the world, may we see a foretaste of that reality. I pray this in your name. Amen.